0: Hey, everybody, welcome to Ask Me Anything, where Pastor J.D. Greer answers your questions. I'm Matt Love, and we have got a bonus episode for you this week. So go ahead and check this out. The whole point of this podcast series has been that whether you're a Christian or not, you've dealt with doubt. That's the lie, 12 truths and a lie. The lie is that the presence of doubt makes you a bad Christian or makes something defective about your faith. Maybe you aren't a Christian because you've had some doubts about God and you concluded, well, I just must not be cut out for belief. you know, here's the thing. Almost every conscientious Christian I've ever known has had doubts. If you're in that category, maybe we believe differently. You know, I believe in Jesus and I'm convinced the Bible is the word of God, but I promise you we've had a lot of the same questions. And so I want to return to that image that Charles Spurgeon had that we talked about at the beginning. And that is that doubt is like a foot that is raised, a foot that is poised. It can go forwards or backwards. It's true. Doubt can drive you backwards into unbelief, but it's also true that you'll never actually grow deep in your faith unless you pick that foot up and ask the question and express the doubt and wrestle with it. It encourages me, honestly, and it's almost a strange encouragement, but most of the Bible, most of our Bibles was written by people who had deep questions with God and and, and even what you would call doubts. People who were waiting and saying, God, I I believe in your goodness, but I don't see it, and I'm confused right now as to what I'm seeing or not seeing. What I want to show you today in this final episode here of our little series is I want to show you how Jesus taught us to deal with our doubts. Again, I want you to hear what I'm saying. Not how never to have them. He never said that, but what to do with them when we do have them. Here's a radical thought. What if you learned to doubt your doubts? I get that phrase from Tim Keller, and I've always loved it. What if you learned, and um, especially if you're in that kind of like you consider yourself, I'm a real doubter, and you almost pride yourself in that. I'm skeptical. What if you extended your doubts to your doubts and said, maybe my doubts don't mean what I thought they mean. Maybe my doubts, maybe there's a reason to doubt my doubts that there really is a source of truth that can give me confidence even in the midst of unanswered questions. I want to go to John chapter 20. Uh, John 20, verse 24 is where we'll begin, because this is actually the story of how Jesus reclaimed the faith of arguably the greatest doubter of all time, doubting Thomas. Now, I'm going to be honest, I actually feel a little bad for Thomas, because that's literally what he is remembered for, doubting. Everybody who knows Thomas knows, oh, doubting Thomas. Other disciples didn't get named for their faults. Peter had a problem with fear, but he didn't get labeled petrified Peter or Peter the pansy or anything like that. Lusting Luke, James the judgmental, but Thomas got named for his fault. Um, here's the story. Here's the background. Mary Magdalene, who was one of Jesus's first followers, went to the tomb early on Easter morning to anoint Jesus. And when she got there, she found the stone rolled away. So she assumed somebody had stolen the body. So she, with a couple of the other women, ran back to tell the other disciples. Peter and John immediately run to the tomb. Peter goes in, finds no body but Jesus's headscarf neatly folded up and laid on the bench, which indicated a couple things to him. A, this wasn't a burglar, as burglars usually don't take time to fold clothes after they steal things. B, more importantly, it indicated that a miracle had happened. Uh, my wife says two miracles, in fact, happened. First, Jesus' body has been resurrected. Two, a single man remembered to fold his clothes. Uh, so I don't know what that says about me, but uh, she says it means it had to be God. So Peter recognizes something divine is afoot here. Well, late that night, Jesus appears to all the disciples in the middle of a room where all the doors are locked because they're terrified and they're afraid they're going to be crucified next. But Thomas wasn't there. He was out making a Starbucks run for everybody or whatever. So in the midst of this room with locked doors, all of a sudden, Jesus appears. He talks with them, and then he leaves. So later when they see Thomas, they tell Thomas what they've seen. But Thomas says, no, no. I mean, I don't know what's going on with you guys, but unless I see, this is verse 25, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and I place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand to his side, I will never believe. Now, this has got to be at the top of the list of things you regret saying. I mean, think about it. If you're in a small group at your church, you say something dumb in your small group, you're embarrassed for five minutes and everybody forgets about it. Thomas says something dumb and it's written down in the Bible for 2,000 years. And not only that, like I already mentioned, he gets named for it. Here's the other reason I feel bad for Thomas. Lots of people in the Gospels doubt it. The Gospels are filled with stories of doubting people, starting with the one Jesus called the greatest prophet of all time, John the Baptist, after preaching for two, three years that Jesus was the promised Messiah, John got discouraged because Jesus didn't seem to be bringing in the kingdom. And so he sends a message to Jesus. He's like, hey, Luke seven nineteen, are you the one that we're supposed to look for? Are you the Messiah or not? In other words, Jesus, was I mistaken? Are you not really who I thought you were? I mean, this is the the, the same crazy, radical, homeless prophet who wore a frock of camel hair and lived in the woods, ate locusts, and proclaimed, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one that Jesus called the greatest prophet ever, born of a woman, and yet even John the Baptist went through a time of doubt. Or one of my favorites I mentioned in an earlier episode, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that as Jesus was ascending into heaven, when they saw him, some worshiped him, but others doubted. And remember, I asked you, like, how crazy is that? Here's Jesus back from the dead. He's levitating in the sky. And some of the apostles were like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I'm going to stay agnostic for a little while longer. point is, lots of people doubted, not just Thomas. In fact, here's what's significant. John tells Thomas' story last in his gospel. This whole book, John says, is trying to help people believe. And he saves Thomas' story till the very end is one of the last stories he tells. In fact, let me read what John says about the reason he wrote this book and included Thomas's story. It says in verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, including the story of Thomas, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Well, when he puts Thomas' story last, he's saying that Thomas probably is the best example in the whole book of somebody who couldn't believe but learn to believe. In fact, Thomas is going to make one of the clearest, boldest confessions of faith found anywhere in the Bible. He's going to say on his knees, my Lord and my God, it's the clearest declaration of who Jesus truly is. We should probably not call him Doubting Thomas, but overcame my Doubting Thomas. You're welcome, Thomas. Redeeming your reputation, one podcast at a time. Thanks for listening. Hear more on this topic from 12 Truths and a Lie, Answers to Life's biggest questions by clicking on the link in the show notes below or listening wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll see you next time on Ask Me Anything.